Welcome to episode 287 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was engineered on Monday, 22nd of November, 2021. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA. Jensen USA, where you will find a great selection of products at unbeatable prices with unparalleled customer service. Check them out at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast, and of course, I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast since 2006. For show notes, links, and other information, check out our website at www.the-spokesman.com. And now, here's my fellow host and producer, Carlton Reed and The Spokesman. There probably won't be any Froomey branded bikes, but Chris Froome is clearly thinking about his bicycling life after he retires from the Pro Peloton. I'm Carlton Reed, and on today's show, I talk with the four times Tour de France winner about one of his several bike industry investments. Along for today's chat was Chris's schoolmate, Peter Morgan, who co-founded the bike tech company Hammerhead. Hammerhead's Karoo 2 cycling computer was designed and developed during the pandemic and has experienced strong sales since it launched last year. Chris Froome isn't the only Mayo Jeune wearer to have invested in Hammerhead, although he's the only one that still officially got the jerseys. The company has so far raised $14 million in seed funding, half of that from Next Ventures, a sports and wellness investment house co-founded by ex-Nike executive Mel Strong and a certain Lance Armstrong. Let's hear from Chris and Peter. So, Peter, I want to start with you. I'm uh, Imagine I'm a prospective investor, not uh, necessarily as tech-savvy as Chris over there, uh, but give me your elevator pitch on your company and perhaps, you know, the Halo product, the Karoo 2. Sure. Well, I'm uh, excited to be chatting to you guys today. And, you know, I think my perspective for a long time has been that if you look at the bikes of today, the physical bicycle, the technology that goes into it is really outstandingly cutting edge, whether it's aerodynamics or material science or, you know, the way that they've been able to create something as spectacularly light as some of the performance bicycles of today. But the thing that's always been extremely absent, in my opinion, or at least lagging in technology, has been the digital experience on the bike. So if you look at the world of cycle computers today, the majority of them use technology that's very antiquated, and they certainly don't resemble a lot of the other digital products that we're getting more and more accustomed to in our lives. So if you look at the certainly the digital experience, let's say a Tesla car or obviously the iPad and its ecosystem it really is a much more modern and capable and powerful digital experience. And so my view has been that by bringing a more modern, powerful, capable digital platform to the bike, there's a huge opportunity to use the software then to solve a lot of the most important and challenging problems for cyclists. And, you know, one area, for example, is in maps and navigation. So by building a computer that's as powerful as ours is, we're able to start to deliver much more uh, insightful and you know, powerful maps and navigation experience, which ultimately puts cyclists on much safer routes. It allows cyclists like Chris who are racing in major races to start to get some insight around the road ahead. So upcoming climbs and elevation and things like that. 
And so where we are in the journey is we're building this computer. We have recently shipped it, uh, I guess, earlier this year, we started shipping the Karoo 2, which is the current generation. And we're really excited about the fact that we see a huge future of software and uh, functionality that we are currently working on and currently building. So we're, we're shipping software every two weeks. We have uh, some really exciting features and functionality coming down the pipeline and and uh, we're really excited about it all. So I'd say that's the, the the story in a nutshell. I'll have to turn mine back on then. To, to, it must have been a, a good week ago since I've been, I've been using it. So uh, turn it back on. I might get some updates. That's cool. Uh, Chris, you are an investor. So tell me, uh, why do you invest? And, and also perhaps what the Karoo actually does for you that maybe other GPS handlebar devices don't. Right. Yeah. Um, I think first and foremost, um, just taking a step back, I mean, obviously I've, I've had, uh, had a decent length career in cycling. I've been a professional for the last 13 years. Um, and I've always almost, almost continuing on from what Pete was saying, I've always felt that it, it just doesn't make sense that the, the information we're getting on the head units and the, basically how the head units display the information has been basically still in the stone ages um, when everyone's got smartphones, everyone's, I mean, the, that technology does exist out there and it just doesn't, hasn't until now, hadn't been transferred into that into the cycling market. Um, so I think when, when, when I first saw the crew to launch um, first got my hands on it, started using it, I was just, I was blown away. I was just like, this is a completely different experience um from from anything else i'd used on the market and i think that's when um i wanted to get more involved with the company i mean just it started off i guess from from a team point of view um making the introduction to isn israel startup nation um where hammerhead now who hammerhead now has a relationship with um and um, obviously they they supply all our all our uh head units for racing um, but then more than that, I, I wanted to be involved in giving feedback, um, giving them basically the information of exactly what we wanted to see while we're on the road racing and, and training, obviously. And I think that's, that's where, um, discussion sort of picked up about how I could get more involved in the company and, um, yeah, I mean, there was there was an opportunity uh, for me to to invest, and that was uh, yeah. I mean, I I, I think I, I jumped at it. I, I felt felt as if it was a, a great match. I mean, I'm, I I do love my my tech, my um, I love my equipment. I love tech. I love I love everything to do with riding a bike, and if it's if it's if it's going to help help the and cause. You, you, of... you like looking down at your handlebars. Put it that way. You're, you're kind of famous for what's Chris looking at now. All oh, right, okay, he's looking at his yeah. stats and stuff. Uh, so, you, so that's that's, that's, a bit of a, that's a bit of a misconception. But, oh, go on, um, then. Go on then. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I've got quite rounded shoulders, so naturally <laughs> my gaze is just okay. in that direction. It's not that I'm actually staring at anything, but I mean, it does help. Obviously, having good information to look at, then it does give me something to look at. But it's. I, I find it actually quite uncomfortable to to lift my head higher. So it's uh, <laughs> yeah, a little little misconception there. All oh, right, okay, that's news to me. Thank you. And then Pete, um, 
tell us about how, how you started this company. So, because it's it's a bike ride across America with your your business partner now, uh, Lawrence. So, what, what were you and Lawrence doing riding across America for a start? So, yeah. So certainly, the I'll start a little bit before that even, and then I'll get to that story. So, I grew up in South Africa, as I think you may know, and Chris and I actually went to high school together in Johannesburg. So we had known each other from uh, Johannesburg and the high school kind of cycling club, if you will. So so my love for cycling it goes back a very long time. And I came over to the United States for university. And it was actually one summer then in college when I rode from New Haven and on the East Coast of the United States to San Francisco. And Lawrence actually wasn't on that ride. He came to the States a little bit after that. But that ride was uh, was really quite informative for me because I spent 63 consecutive days on the bike, you know, riding across the states. We took a very uh, roundabout route. If you're trying to figure out why it took me so long, <laughs> but uh, but it was a it was really a spectacular trip. I think we averaged a little bit over 100 k's a day, so nothing too crazy, but uh, a fair amount of riding. And it was during that experience that I was struck by just how important it is to get navigation rights on the bike. The trip uh, tragically actually, uh, so the trip actually took place, I think for two or three years. Um, and there were actually, I think two people killed on the trip, uh, you know, in, in accidents with vehicles, which obviously was, was very tragic. And, you know, that experience combined with just my own challenges of, uh, you know, some days finding ourselves on interstate highways and, you know, places that aren't optimized for cycling really left me with this profound sense of, of just how important it is to solve navigation for cyclists. And that then became obviously a broader uh, mission now with the crew computer. And Lawrence, my co-founder, actually went to the same high school that Chris and I did in, in South Africa. And uh, he had come over to the United States for graduate school. And fortunately, he and I had complementary skill sets. So he also was a passionate cyclist. And uh, we joined forces, moved into a small house together and uh, started building the first product. So we jumped right into it and, you know, have been able to, I guess, build on early successes and, you know, get to where we are today. Can I ask just a really techie, non, non-cycling techie question here? And that is mapping. Why in the UK? I mean, I'm sure everywhere else it's, it's perfect. But why in the UK do you not use OS mapping? So it's interesting. The So... Depend, obviously, mapping around the world is, uh, you know, quite idiosyncratic. Meaning, each country has its own its own mapping realities. In a country like uh, certainly, or a city like London, let's say, uh, the roads were obviously very ancient and very very uh, higgledy piggledy as a result, as compared to say a city like New York, which is much more of a grid pattern layout. So each each city has its own idiosyncrasies. There's obviously also uh, a variety of different data sets that are either good in one country, but might not be good in others. And if you look at, say, the Waze product for, for certainly car navigation, it performs spectacularly in some regions and will outperform Google Maps in some areas, whereas in other countries, it will really not know uh, where it's going. And so we, we have the same reality in terms of our product. We are using the uh, OSM base map globally, although that is, you know, and that's the open, you know, OpenStreetMaps product as the base data set. But what we're doing on top of that is then, uh, you know, essentially developing our own data set that will allow us to, over time, provide a more and more insightful and accurate uh, set of guidance for cyclists. Our expectation is much like ways we will start to leverage the insight of the community, both through heat maps, so where people tend to ride, 
but also through active input. So people essentially giving us feedback um, on, you know, what roads might be good or what roads aren't good, and then incorporating that into the guidance. So, so it really is, you know, in some cases, in some countries, I'd say it's, it's outstanding today. Um, in others, it's a little less accurate, but I will say that holistically, I think it is the, the finest product from a cycling navigation uh, perspective on the market today, but certainly a lot more that we're working on. So I've, I've got more questions for Chris as well, but, but <laughs> I want to dig down into this one. Um, so, okay, not OS, but what about Open Cycle Map, Open Street Map? Surely that's open to everybody. Yes. So that is what we're using as our base data set. The challenge then obviously becomes taking a data set like that and developing it in, into a you know accurate navigation product in real time on a bike because as soon mm-hmm. as you take it onto the bike it obviously doesn't have a native internet connection so everything you're doing you're doing offline on the device itself so that means there's a large uh, storage problem there of needing to essentially store map tiles which are the visual representation in addition to the underlying street network data or trail network data so we are using that data set um, and then the, the i guess the technical work that we're doing on our end, because to your point, it is an open source data set, is we're then uh, building on top of that, uh, you know, essentially navigation algorithm, we're packaging it and storing it in a quite a unusual and I think uh, effective way, and starting to inform that data set with our own insights. And that's something that will increasingly happen over time. Mm. Okay. Because uh, that would have been kind of my wish list, if, if you know, had to come to me. I'm, I'm not a, 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 a anyway could be described as an athlete. Uh, but if I had just a usability, it's just like, you know, when I'm using an iPhone app, then it's just nice to be able to switch to the the map that you're kind of comfortable with. And that can be at different stages of a, you know, a rural versus a city journey, just to be able to just switch out the map. And anyway, um, Chris, sure. let, 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 let's, let's come to you. Uh, so there are hobby bikes. Uh, you can't move in the UK without falling over Blumen Boardman bikes. So any interest in having a Froomey bike brand a Froome bike <laughs> brand something something with your name on it uh not n- no plans in the near future that's uh yeah um recently this year i got involved with um another sponsor of the team actually uh factor factor mm-hmm. yeah um also a british brand but um yeah certainly no plans at the moment to to, to get involved in any uh, sort of public transport schemes i mean there's 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 a lot out there already um but yeah no no plans for the moment okay so you've invested in in other companies um are you looking to get more hands-on in the future with those you know investments that you've made you know not not just you know with your technical prowess but business you know actually try and, and 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 do something different in the world of cycling with your business Certainly. skills, I mean, I, I'd like to think, obviously, as as I get closer to to the end of my career, I could potentially get more and more involved um, with with the companies that I'm, I'm um, invested in. Um, I mean, obviously, I've, I bring a lot to the table in terms of um, actual usability of the products and, and feedback and product development. But I have to say, the the business side of things is completely foreign to me. That's a whole new field that that I'm hoping to learn more about um, by by having these investments and being involved in, for example, quarterly quarterly board board calls. Um, and um, yeah, c- certainly something I think beyond my cycling career, 
beyond my cycling career, it's something that I could uh, be more involved in. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and Peter, um, you've just re-signed, you mentioned it before, but you just re-signed a deal with uh, Israel Startup Nation. What what does that do for you? Because you're, 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 when were you found? 2013, 2014? So what does that do for you as a company, as a relative n- uh, newcomer in in this space? So it's it's done a tremendous amount for us. I think the guidance that we've gotten from Chris and folks in the team has been extremely helpful. When we developed the climber feature, which shows the insight into the up, upcoming climb, we uh, certainly leveraged a lot of insight from Chris and his team. And their insight certainly enabled us to make a much better feature than would have been possible without it. So I think there's a huge uh, value in the insights that we get from, from Chris and his teammates. I think beyond that, there's an awesome testing environment that it exposes us to. So having the product on all of the ISN bikes in all of the races does put it through its paces to an extremely uh, high degree. You know, we were watching the uh, uh, Paris-Roubaix race relatively recently, and that was obviously quite a a wild one with, uh, you know, the conditions of the day. And it was super cool to see the product in that environment, going through it and uh, ultimately surviving to, to get through to the other end. So I think there's a huge testing aspect to it too, which allows us to, you know, identify anything that needs to be improved on the product as well as inform our development of subsequent products. So that's, that's also huge. And I think the third piece that's most exciting or probably perhaps most enjoyable is it's just deeply gratifying to see uh, our product being used at these, these levels of the sport. I know that our team is certainly enthusiastic about cycling and, you know, they were watching uh, very closely when, for instance, Mike Woods was competing for the King of the Mountains uh, jersey with the crew and his handlebars. And that was mm-hmm. getting a lot of coverage in in the Tour de France this year. And so there's just a huge, uh, you know, amount of, uh, I guess, pride that comes from doing work that ends up at the highest levels of the sport. So it gives us a tremendous amount. I do hope that we are uh, able to give as much back to the team, uh, but we certainly feel we, we get a tremendous amount from the relationship. I, I love the climber feature. I thought I would hate the climber feature because it's telling you what's coming up and it's like, oh God, I've got all these hills to do. And then when I've used it, it's like, I love knowing exactly where I am on the ascent. That that actually improves my my enjoyment because I'm not th- I'm not getting to false flats and then thinking, oh, I've done it. It's like, no, I know this is a false flat. And it, it psychologically, I find that incredibly useful. Chris, was that something that you helped develop the climb a bit? I was just going to say, welcome, welcome to my world. Um, going up some random climb in the Pyrenees that you don't know if the false flat is is actually the top or if it carries on or anything else. So, I mean, obviously having having that kind of information right at your fingertips, knowing exactly how far it is to the top of the climb, what kind of gradient you're doing, um, really helps you mentally to sort of put little, mm. I guess, checkpoints on the way up the climb. Um, little points where you can see you get a little breather, for example, um, and you can kind of just tell yourself mentally, okay, if I can just hang into that point, I'll, I'll recover a little bit, then I'll be okay for the last last little bit. So, I mean, it's, it's incredibly important having that information. Um, and that was something that I personally had uh, had quite a lot of uh, input into, I think, uh, in the in the first few months of, of the year building up to the Tour de France. Well, thank you for that, because that is my favourite feature. Now, Ed, do you use it in a race? Because presumably when you're doing you know, an incredibly famous Tour de France climb, you pretty much know every single inch of that climb, and you've wrecked it many, many times. Uh, but 
do you still potentially look down at the at the Karoo even when you know it inch by inch? Yeah, definitely. I mean, almost going back to 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 what what we we're just talking about now. Even though you know a lot of the roads, um, and I, I have to actually tell you that we don't know most of the roads that we race on. I mean, we might know, for example, Alpe d'Huez or some of the more famous climbs that you do, sort of every every second year or something like that. But um, there are a lot of new climbs that we don't know, and we just don't have the time to go and recce all all twenty one stages. Um, so there's a lot that we don't know, um, but even even when you do know it, it just he- sort of helps mentally to be able to see it in front of you and to see see the little little bits of respite, or to at least prepare yourself if there isn't any respite coming up, and you can just just crack on with it. And Peter, is th- th- those data sets the with the, the the inclines on? That's all you can you can suck that up pretty easily. How how accurate are those? those things on the the career the, the the inclines so yeah so we take the uh, the data obviously that exists but what we have done is we're starting to get into cross-referencing it with other data sets so instead of let's say just taking the osm elevation data we're starting to to combine that with data sets that might confirm or uh, you know indicate that there's an error in the in the first data set so there is some complexity in doing that and i think there's you know, you certainly will notice in some cases that the, the data is slightly wrong. So, for instance, where I ride frequently in New York, if I go over the, um, uh, the, the George Washington Bridge, it, you know, represents me as riding, I think, on the level of the river, which obviously isn't entirely true. But uh, so you do get some idiosyncrasies like that that aren't accurate. But generally speaking, it's pretty accurate. and It will only get more accurate over time because what ultimately we will do is corroborate the data set with the GPS positions of the riders and, uh, you know, then adjust it over time. So it starts to become a much more like ways, uh, dynamic and, uh, tuned data set, if you want to put it that way. Mm, okay. And Chris, I, I believe you've just paid your first visit to Israel. Correct. Yeah. So how was that? Amazing, actually quite, um, quite educational being, being over there. Um, I mean, um, for most of us, all all that we see of Israel is when 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 it when it reaches the headlines, and there's there's normally a bomb going off somewhere or some some tragic event. So um, I think we we have quite a warped perception of what what Israel's actually like. Um, mm. But being there with the team this time around, it was. I mean, I, I was I was there in 2018 for the start of the Giro d'Italia. But to be honest, we when you're in race mode, you you go from your hotel room onto the bike, back to your hotel room, to the dining room, sleep. True. You, you don't you don't go out walking around or uh, getting to experience the city at all. So um, this time was 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 definitely the, the right time of year that we we went there and we were able to go on all the all the different sort of uh, tours of the city. Tours, you think? Of course, exactly. you've been there, of course, because I should have known that because I was actually there on that stage. Uh, so I was yeah, actually watching you. in. In fact, I was with your, your factor guy uh, on the, 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 your first. Yes, Rob was, was showing us around on that, uh, uh-huh. that particular stage. Anyway, um, so where did you go? In, and shall I tell you why I'm asking you this? I wrote the, uh, the Berlitz Guide to Israel. So I, I'm very oh, wow. familiar with Israel. So, wow. uh, okay. so where, where did you go? Um, so we started off in in Jerusalem, um, mm-hmm. did a few days, few days uh, looking around the city, learning about the different the different quarters of the old old uh, old city. Mm-hmm. Um, went to went to all the different sort of um, attractions there. Um, we went 
um, just trying to think where we went from there. Then we went down to to Tel Aviv, um, mm-hmm. did some of the sort of more touristy things down there, sort of tour of the food markets and mm-hmm. um, uh, Jaffa uh, to, to learn learn a bit about Jaffa and the old port um, in in Tel Aviv. Um, and we went to the Sea of Galilee um, mm-hmm. for a couple nights, um, where they've just just hosted the first Iron Man event, um, which th- that was fascinating. Actually, quite nice cycling up there as well. Um, that's right on the the border of sort of Syria and mm-hmm. Jordan, mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was fascinating as well. It's got its own history up up in that area. Um, we did a few sort of team building events around there um, before going to um, right right down the other side to the the, the Dead Sea, mm-hmm. um, where we did some mountain biking, and then then we finished off the the the, the, the trip with uh, going back to Tel Aviv. That sounds like a great trip. You've you've done. I mean, it's a very small country, obviously, but you've done a, a yeah. ton there. So. What what's, was Sylvan there? When what's it like to have a world champion as a team owner? <laughs> Pretty um, yeah. I mean, the thing is, he obviously gets he gets cycling. I mean, he's, mm. he's he's been a world champion himself. He he gets training, he gets nutrition, that whole side of things as well. Um, so does he, he half wheel you? Does he half wheel you? <laughs> um, he does. He does. He he sort of lets let, lets it known that he trains and he's fit and um, yeah. Especially when we're all unfit and we haven't been training for a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, uh, but no, it, 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 it's it, it's actually really good fun having a team owner who who gets involved as much as he does. Because mm. um, I mean, um, Israel, Israel's becoming like I mean that's why he created or co-created the team, of course, to to. To explain that this is a startup, literally a startup nation, and as you were saying before, there's you know it's, it's not a bomb around every corner. Look, look at Liverpool. We you know we had a bomb there, you know, just two days ago. So, you know, Israel is not what, what people read it in in the, it. the news. But he also is doing lots of stuff for cycling in the country itself. So there's a there's a velodrome with his name on. There's there's bike networks in Tel Aviv. Did you go on any of the Sylvan Adams bike network? Uh, I, I didn't actually get to see that. Uh, maybe you, it sounds like you know more about that than me. What, what was that about? He's just, he's, I won't go into the full details because he is a bit cheesed off with the, the municipality because they haven't been as fast at expanding the network. So he okay. seed funded it. He gave them, you know, a, a fair bit of cash. They then named the network after him. So it, it, it radiates from where he lives basically down to, to, to Tel Aviv. And then he expected them to then, you know, massively expand it, and they haven't. So the last time I spoke to him, he wasn't that happy with with the Tel Aviv mayor. Um, but maybe don't go into that <laughs> just here. But he, I mean, he's sure. just doing so much for cycling, and, and of course, the, the the team is this massive PR drive, not just yes. for sports cycling, which you're involved in, but but all different aspects of cycling. So he's really interested in in cycling as a whole. He is. He is. I mean, we we did get to go and see certain projects that he's been involved in down there. Um, you mentioned one of them, the the, the velodrome, for example. Um, I mean, just just fascinating because they they wouldn't have had facilities like that um, mm-hmm. if, if it weren't for his involvement. And now having obviously a, a pro tour, a world tour team, sorry, um, mm-hmm. 
an Israeli World Tour team, it gives all the youngsters a little bit like what what Team Sky did for for British cycling uh, ten years ago. So it's it, it is this sort of it's this vehicle now that that mm. basically says to up and coming young young aspiring cyclists, if you guys are good enough and you put in the hard work, this is where you can this is where you could end up. And mm. I think we. I was blown away just by how many people came out to to come and sort of show their support and mm. um, how many how many kids are actually into cycling over there in Israel. I mean, that's really I, good. I just don't don't think that would have been possible if it hadn't been for his involvement. Mm. Do you, have you met Ran Margliot? Do you know Ran? Yes, yes. Because he's, I mean, he's still across there at the moment. I mean, he, obviously the, the 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 team before it became Startup Nation was built you know, around a, a little bit of a kernel that he, you know, started with his 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 partner. Because uh, he was the first Israeli um, pro team rider, really, wasn't he? He was like, so he, a lot of it can come from from him, even before Sylvan was doing stuff with, with, with pro teams. So he's been a, a big catalyst in Israel. Certainly, certainly. Mm. Um, uh, Peter, let's go back to you. Uh, do we have any more tech stuff to come? You, can you give me any, any secrets here? Have you got any, you know, you're talking about the updates before. What, what, what updates have you got to the software? That kind of stuff. Give me, give, me some, give me some tech secrets. Sure. So I think one of the things we're really excited about uh, shipping in the next couple of weeks is really a big update to the operating system visuals. So if you're familiar, obviously, with the iPhone platform, when it goes from, say, iOS 14 to iOS 15, that brings with it a lot of uh, fun, you know, visual improvements a lot of the time. And we've got a similar uh, release coming before the end of the year, which we're really excited about. And that brings a new control center to the product we're calling it, which is essentially a, you know, menu structure that allows one to navigate the product much more easily. And we're also shipping a, a really nice update to the uh, to the desktop, if you want to call it that, the sort of homepage Mm -hmm. uh, visualization. So it's going to make the product feel and look, uh, totally new, which is really exciting. And I think, uh, you know, much more polished than it currently does. So I think that's a release that's coming before the end of the year that I'm really excited about. We, uh, have gotten great feedback from some of the folks in our advanced testing group on that. So we ship software to a variety of advanced testing people about two weeks before we ship it to the general public. And and uh, they're busy testing that uh, as of Thursday last week. And that's uh, certainly been very well received. So I'd say that's a big one that's, uh, that's shipping soon. Any hardware stuff? So anything new on the, you know, Karoo 3 maybe? So we, uh, we certainly are always working on hardware stuff in the background, but we don't have anything uh, launching too soon. The Karoo, the Karoo 2 is still relatively early in its life cycle mm. that, we only started shipping it uh, in, I think, February or so of this year. So mm, it's been uh, it's a relatively new product. But no, we're certainly working on future product and some exciting partnerships that uh, we'll be able to announce uh, going into next year. Thanks to Peter Morgan of Hammerhead there. And thanks also to Chris Froome and to you for listening to episode 287 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. And that's it for this month. There will be another couple of shows in December. But meanwhile, get out there and ride. <laughs>